So I put all my heart and soul to the extent of my family suffering. Association football is the most popular outdoor sport in Britain. Thousands play and millions watch the game. Keenest of all are the youngsters, whose heroes are the famous professional footballers, and who dream of the day when they too perhaps may wear the colours of a famous club and hear the roar of the crowd. Hello and welcome to another episode of Under Flat Caps and Bowler Hats, brought to you by Man Marking. My name is Dan Reed, and today we're going to take another look back at an example of mental ill health in football from yesteryear. Today we're taking a look back at the Newcastle United legend, Huey Gallagher. Now if you enjoy today's episode or any of the other episodes that we've brought you, either the Flat Caps episodes or our interviews or our Not For Me Collabs episode, then we'd love it if you headed over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, left us a five-star review and a comment. And if you wanted to give us any feedback, you can find us on Twitter at marking underscore man, or you can drop us an email at manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com. Now, let's get on with the episode. As usual, I was joined by a special guest to help tell this story, and today's guest was the official Newcastle United historian and author of the book, The Huey Gallagher Story, Paul Joanium. Um, my name's Paul Jonew. I'm Newcastle United's official historian for oh, over 40 years now. Um, way back in 1989, uh, I produced um, the Huey Gallagher story, which was the authorised biography of uh, the great wee man. And why did, you, why did you decide to write the book, Paul? Well, in, in my... Uh, research on Newcastle United. I've been a supporter of the club for since I was about five years old. Um, and, and I got involved as the club's historian, got, got deeply uh, into researching the club. And uh, Huey Gallagher was a name that cropped up time and time again, both when he was a player in the 20s and then afterwards, uh, that he was forever remembered since those days in the 1920s. And once I got involved in um, researching his own story, uh, both on the football field and off the football field, it just became a fascinating uh, tale. And he had a remarkable life, both on and off the football field. You spoke with with some some relatives of his as well, I believe, whilst whilst putting the book together. Yeah, well, I I got to uh, got to know Huey's son, Huey Junior, who lives. Uh, in Gateshead, he's still alive, living in Gateshead in his 80s now. Uh, and I also got in touch and, and met um, his other son, Matty Gallagher, uh, who wasn't quite as easy to get hold of in so much that he lives in South Africa. But um, so I had access to, to um, Huey, Huey Jr. had um, the family archive, loads of photographs and obviously he knew very much about uh, his dad's life over the over the time um, in the twenties, thirties, through to his death in the late fifties. That must have been a that must have been amazing, really, speaking to his uh, to his sons. Yes, yeah, they're both lovely guys. Um, uh, remarkably, Matty is 
a striking resemblance to his father. He's only about five foot five, five foot six, and same features. Uh, Huey Jr.'s a, a, a bit taller, a good bit taller, um, uh, but has the same face. Um, and they are very, very proud of their father, uh, what, what he achieved in football. Uh, and both of them actually um, joined Newcastle United as juniors um, in the 60s. Uh, they never actually made it, but they, they were on the, on the club's books. Um, so uh, it was very, you know, I'm very pleased that I've managed to um, speak to them and keep in contact uh, over the years. Huey Kilpatrick Gallagher was born on the 2nd of February 1903 in a place called Bells Hill, North Lanarkshire, just outside of Glasgow. So my first sports call was asking Paul what would life have been like for little Huey growing up in Bells Hill? Well, Bells Hill, um, I know very well because I worked there for about five or six years in the modern Bells Hill, which is really part of, now part of sprawling Glasgow. Um, but... Uh, you know, Bells Hill back in the 1900s, it, it was rough and ready. It was a working class uh, town, a mining town. There were steelworks nearby um, and uh, very much in that area of Lanarkshire, um, it was split between the Catholics and Protestants and it was a, a, a very divided community. Um, uh, there was lots of pubs, uh, lots, not a lot of money. Um, and Huey uh, Gallagher had a had a uh, you know, the family originated in Ireland, and uh, a lot of the Irish people uh, settled in Lanarkshire. Um, uh, and Huey Gallagher uh, was born into you know, a family that settled in Bells Hill. And he had a bit of a reputation, I believe, locally when he was younger for his for his sort of football talent, but worked in a munitions factory during the war and and also worked in, in, in a colliery. I'd imagine for somebody from that type of place that the, being a footballer probably wasn't ever something that seemed achievable to him. Well, I think um, everybody played football. All the lads played football at that in the 1900s, 1920s, um, and especially in working-class areas. Um whether he actually aspired to become a professional footballer, I doubt, but he certainly played football. He's, one of his best friends was Alex James, who was another great Scottish footballer. Um, and as, as he said, um, he was a cousin to Matt Busby by a, a later marriage. Um, so, you know, there was lots and lots of famous Scottish footballers brought up in Lanarkshire and in and around Bells Hill. And Huey... Um, once he'd left school, started to play for the local clubs, Hatton Rig Thistle and Bells Hill Athletic, and quickly made an impression. You've got to remember this guy was only five foot five tall, um, and he was playing against, even in his teenage years, uh, playing against six foot, six foot two, six foot three defenders. And he had to be uh, good, and he had to be tough and rough to get by at that point in his career. Yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, he, he's, he is particularly striking when you look at pictures of him. He's, he, his, his sort of build and his, his size and what have you, is, is, even I suppose for that sort of time, was probably quite unusual. When he was at school and in his teenage, teenage years, apart from playing football, he was quite a talented boxer. So uh, that worked well for him 
um, both on the field and off the field in later years. He could handle himself. He was a little rough, tough um, Scott, uh, um, you know, with with uh, an aggressive nature on the, on the football field. And you mentioned there about the the sort of split between the the Catholics and the the Protestants in in, in the area where he grew up in. And when he was seventeen, he, he married a girl called Annie, I believe, who who was a, a a Catholic girl, which which kind of angered his his father, who was who was Protestant. I, I sort of have a, a quite a you know a broad idea about this sort of the rifts that that could probably cause within a family. But did you get any were there any stories or any sense of of there being any particular divide on the back of, of, of that marriage? Well, back back in the 1920s, um, uh, and even even now in certain parts of central Scotland, um, the division between Catholics and Protestants uh, is, is very, very strong. And certainly um, uh, back in the 20s, marrying into a Catholic family from being in a staunch Protestant family was just a no-no, and there was a huge, upro- uh, huge uproar apparently within the family. It didn't go down very well at all. Uh, no doubt on both sides, on on Annie's side and on uh, Huey's side. Uh, but it happened. Uh, you, know, Huey, Huey was a type of guy who did did what he wanted to do, no matter what. So um, he married Annie, and uh, unfortunately, the marriage didn't really work out. Uh, they had a, a son who died before he was a year old um, and the couple split up um, very quickly thereafter. So um, off the field, off the football field, his life started to develop in a fashion that followed in the decades to, fo- uh, to come. Did, did, did you get any sense of, of the, the sort of maybe the, a long-lasting effect of, the, of his of his young young child dying, or I know obviously infant mortality in in that time was was higher than it is now, but you can imagine that the sort of mental toll that might have taken on 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 a young person, you know, for for losing a child. Yeah, well, certainly at, at that point, I didn't really get um, any first hand knowledge of uh, of of what he felt. Um, there was no one left alive that I could speak to at that point who who was there. Um, but I know later in life, uh, you know, his family was um, his number one priority. So I'm sure it, it did have an effect on him. Um, but he moved on. Um, he actually met a, another girl very shortly afterwards and had another son. Um, uh, they did. They weren't married, so that was another issue in that that uh, era of the twenties. Uh, yet that son, called, he was called Jackie, Jackie Gallagher, went on to play for Celtic um, in the 1940s and early 50s. And so back to, to, to Huey's career, you were talking about that he, he started with um, with Belsell Athletic and he'd been previously rejected due to his size, but signed for Queen of the South in, in 1921 and he was paid £5 a week and in his first sort of nine or ten games scored quite a lot of goals. And... He then, he then, I believe, suffered a, a serious bout of pneumonia um, before he, he moved on to Airdrie. Was he was he really quite unwell at that time? Was he almost close to death? Was it not? Well, not... I, I don't know if he was close to death, but certainly pneumonia, um, uh, certainly back in, in the 20s, was a serious illness. And certainly he had a big break joining Queen of the South. Um, they uh, were a big step up from local football around Bells Hill. 
um, and he was a uh, he certainly made a big impression with Queen of the South down in Dumfries. Uh, scored lots of goals um, and caught pneumonia. Um, he was out of action for a good while, but he recovered and and went from strength to strength because he uh, he he took the eye of Airdrie, um, who is a, who are a club not far from Bells Hill in Lanarkshire, um, but they were at the time uh, one of the top three or four clubs in Scotland. You know, indeed, in when Gallagher joined them, um, he. Uh, uh, sorry, I'll have to start that again. Can you hear the dog in the background? Can <laughs> Can you? Yeah. <laughs> Just hang on a second. Yeah, no, it's fine. Paul, don't worry, mate. As I'm sure you heard there, we were briefly interrupted by Paul's dog, who spotted the cat out of the window and, just at the moment we were recording, was ensuring that we were aware of that fact as well. So Paul sorted the dog out, and then we were back to Huey Gallagher and his time at Airdrie and Queen of the South. Um, he made a big impression with Queen of the South and uh, joined Airdrie, which is a, a town not far from Belsall in Lanarkshire, so he knew the club well. Um, and at the time, in the 1920s, uh, they were... Uh, in the top three or four clubs in Scotland. Um, and uh, he was an instant success with Airdrie. Uh, you know, the next to Rangers, who were the best side at that time in the early 20s, they were runners up in the tight in the championship in Scotland in 1922-23-23-4-24-5. And Gallagher was at the forefront of all of that. Um, they also won the Scottish Cup in 1924. And he scored um, 120, sorry, 100 goals, exactly 100 goals for Airdrie in 129 matches. Now, that's a phenomenal scoring uh, record. Um, and he became absolute hot property, um, not only in Scotland, but all the big clubs in England started to watch this five foot five bundle of genius on the football field. I suppose, and that probably begs the next question, which would be, what was his, what was his sort of style of play? What type of player was he? Well, he was, you know, five foot five is not very tall at all, and is, is at all, um, and um, but he had superb ball skills. Uh, he was a, a, an aggressive little character, um, and he had a tremendous leap as well. He would uh, jump for high balls as any six foot um, centre forward would. And he would uh, uh, track back, tackle. He wasn't afraid of putting his foot in it, it, back then in, a, in, in a, an era of football where when it was you know, a lot rougher than it is today in the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he, he around that time, he started playing for, for Scotland. Um, and I read that he, which, which was crazy that he, he, he became obviously a bit of a marked man on and off the pitch which came to a head during a, a trip to Northern Ireland where there were a couple of attempts on his life. Would you just talk us through those events Paul? Well with all the goals he scored for Scotland he was a, a an absolute cert for a Scotland cap and he became Scotland's regular centre forward right through the 20s and into the 30s and uh, um that particular incident in Belfast, uh, he uh, was actually playing for the Scottish League eleven um, against the Irish League. And um, he started off against the Irish um, in such a fashion that he had had a hat-trick within 
uh, 14 or 15 minutes. And at half time, um, a little note was passed to him in the dressing room uh, saying uh, that he better um, ease up against the, the home side or he would be shot. Uh, now, Huey was the type of character to just ignore that type of uh, threat. He went out and he actually scored five goals. Um, um, however, um, that wasn't the end of the story in so much that he ended up in Belfast uh, after the game with some friends. Um, and um, he was actually shot at in, in uh, the city centre. Uh, the, the shot missed him, um, luckily. Um, but uh, he quipped afterwards that uh, he, he'll have to teach these Irish uh, to shoot straight in the future. So uh, he took a lot of these threats, um, and these were real threats in, in Ireland, in so much that there was troubles back in the 20s, just as there were in, in later years. Um, he took these very, um, with a pinch of salt, although they were very serious at the time. But generally on the field, he became a very much a marked man by defenders. And uh, he, he was given very a lot of very rough treatment um, by much bigger centre-halves. And, and uh, uh, Huey often retaliated and got into trouble over, over uh, uh, trying to defend his position. Yeah, I, I, was, I was reading that the... There were teammates who said that there were he would get literal chunks kicked out of his leg. Did be almost bits of his leg hanging off by the time he got to the end of some matches? Um, yeah, well, he, he certainly did. I've, I read a lot uh, in quotes from some of his Newcastle teammates at the time and his Scotland teammates that he would come off the field uh, black and blue. His legs would be uh, um, scraped and, and bruised. Um, so he was given a lot of treatment, but seeing that Huey could give treatment back, and he often did. Um, he was in trouble with referees um, uh, time and time again, um, both in Scotland and especially in England, where um, when um, he made a lot of headlining um, stories in terms of uh, his arguments with referees. He he garnered quite a bit of reputation for that sort of behaviour, didn't he, as well? And I'd imagine probably from his, his kind of the tough upbringing that he had from, from, from you know, growing up as a... Maybe probably because of his size as well that he learned to kind of look after himself. Yes, he certainly he, he had that boxing in, instinct as well that he, he had from a teenager. Uh, he certainly could look after himself. He wouldn't suffer um, being abused by anybody on the football field or, or elsewhere. Um, and he also had a vicious tongue. Um, you know, he, he, one, one or two players um, uh, uh, you found out had heard swear words from Huey Gallagher that they'd never heard anywhere before. So he was a, a little rascal on the football field uh, with a sharp edge. So Huey spent four seasons at Airdrie, scoring 100 goals in 129 matches. And he was making quite a name for himself, not just north of the border, but south of it as well. And there was a lot of speculation that a number of English clubs were out to sign him. But it was Newcastle United who finally secured the signature of Huey Gallagher at the fourth time of asking, paying £6,500 to capture their man. 
Yeah, well, Newcastle tracked them. They wanted them. Uh, Newcastle at that time were one of the top three or four clubs in the country, uh, having been the team in the country in the 1900s. But in the 20s, they needed um, uh, a new centre-forward. Um, in 1925, they purchased Huey for what was nearly a new record fee. It was reported that it, it, uh, it had a record fee, but it actually wasn't. Um, but it was a club record fee of £6,500. Um, and he made his debut against Everton. And um, as you said, Dixie Dean was um, in the Everton lineup as centre forward. Uh, and the two of them over the preceding um, years were the country's, without doubt, the two best centre forwards in the country. Dean, though, big strapping six footer, and Gallagher, the short five foot five. Um, uh, uh, Scot Scottish genius um, but the game ended 3-3 uh, 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 Dean scored a hat-trick um, Gallagher put Newcastle ahead um, scoring two goals and made the other one they were ahead 3-1 and then uh, Dean turned it on to, to level matters at 3-3 however it was Gallagher who, who made all the headlines certainly in the northeast, of course uh, it was his debut, scored two goals, made a huge impression on the field. Uh, but all after the, the big crowd at St James's Park, when he first ran onto the pitch, um, all the players, big cheer when Newcastle ran out. And then Gallagher came on and there was a, oh, they'd just seen that he was only five foot five in height and he was tiny compared to all the other players. <laughs> so, you know, the fans um, had a, had a bit of a shock, but then it only took a few minutes before uh, they warmed to him. And for the next five years, uh, you, you could do absolutely no wrong wrong in, in the minds of Newcastle United supporters. It's interesting that his debut is um, in a game, you know, he's almost head-to-head -head with, with Dixie Dean. I mean, you can imagine the sort of the way that it would be billed on, on Sky Sports if it was, if it was today. Um, but I think there's quite an interesting sort of parallel with, with Dean, given probably the 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 maybe the highest status that, that, that Dixie Dean holds, that it, you know, maybe across, certainly across this country. Do you think a lot of that's to do with maybe the type of player and the type of individual that, that Huey was and Dean may be seen as a bit more straight-edged? Um, well, without, without doubt, um, as a, a football historian, uh, the two... Uh, strikers that, that always come to the fore um, for their goal, goal records are Dean and, and Gallagher. You know, Gallagher, in his overall career, 624 senior appearances uh, and 463 goals. Now, Dean has a similar record. You know, the two of them were just um, amazing goal scorers. Uh, um, totally different characters. Um, Huey Gallagher had that rough edge and um, he got into all sorts of trouble on and off the field and uh, and, and created headlines um, that, that Dean never did. Um, and I suppose um, just as, as it would in these days, if, if, if the incidents that Gallagher got up to on and off the field, you know, the media would have a field day uh, um, on the subject of Huey Gallagher, uh, and it just added to the 
to the fascination of of the man and his uh, life and career. Over the, those five seasons at Newcastle, as you mentioned, his, his goal scoring record, I, I think he got about hundred. I got one hundred and forty three and one hundred and seventy four. Was that is that right? How many goals and appearances? That's, that's correct. He he he, he, he was. Uh, a regular centre forward for the five seasons, uh, 143 goals in 174 appearances, and that's a, 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 a great strike rate um, of 82%. As I look at it, and that that is a superb strike rate for a for a centre forward in any era of football. Um, and he captained Newcastle. He was given the captaincy very early, 1926-27, um, and he led Newcastle to the to the championship that season. Um, scoring uh, a club record 39 goals in the season. Now that that stood for many many years until until Andy Cole bettered it in uh, 1993. So uh, you know he was a phenomenal centre forward, and for those five years he he just scored goals galore of, of all types, um, many brilliant scintillating runs. Um, from deep that uh, he had a knack of taking a ball and just weaving in and out and, and hitting the net with a with a great goal. I read a really nice quote um, from Alan Shearer where, about his dad talking about um, something about doesn't matter how many goals you score, you won't be as good as as Huey. Um, where would you kind of rank rank him in the the list of? of all-time Newcastle legends. I mean, I know obviously you wouldn't have seen him play, but in terms of, you know, as as your role as, as the historian? Well, it's very, very, very difficult. I, I, you know, I would say in terms of uh, strikers, he's he's up there um, and I wouldn't like to pick one. It's it's uh, Jackie Milburn, uh, Alan Shearer and Huey Gallagher. Um, you know, without doubt in terms of, uh, in the, he's in the top Ten of all time Newcastle United players, um, but Gallagher, for me personally, he's just got that charisma about him um, that that makes him something special. And I would love to have seen him play um, uh, to be that to score those goals against the opposition being only five foot five. And I come back to five foot five again. He was a tiny guy yet scored all those goals. You know, um, he had to be an incredible player to, to, to get through um, throughout his career, scoring goals galore. As so often happens on these episodes with, with players that we discuss, they're almost known as much for what they did off the field, for what they were doing on the field. And Huey definitely falls into this bracket as well. He was a superb footballer, a magnificent goal scorer, but he was also very well known for his antics and misbehaviours off the field. And that was what I'd discuss next with Paul. Well, I, I think a lot of it was true um, in so much that lots of these stories, um, whenever uh, anything happened surrounding Huey Gallagher, it was immediately in the press, even back in the 20s and 30s. Um, so he, he lived hard. He liked going out, dining, drinking, socialising, a bit of a playboy. Um, he dressed well when he went out. Um, he went to all the right places, whether it's in Newcastle or when he went to London. Um, so he, he, he often um, found himself uh, um, in the limelight, uh, 
and uh, sometimes got into trouble, whether it's a bit of a, a, a fight in the pub or, or um, you know, when he was in London getting into gambling and the like, and he always um, had a had a, a, a inkling for a drink. Uh, so without doubt, um, drinking had an effect on his life as it went on. Uh, and when he went into pubs in Newcastle, for instance, you didn't need to buy a drink. Everybody would want to buy him a drink. So you know, it was uh, uh, a growing problem as he became more famous uh, over the years. And I suppose at that time, it, it, it you know, alcohol is obviously a big part of modern day life now. But I suppose potentially even more so then, given that we didn't know the wouldn't have known the risks around the around the health health risks at the time. Was was Huey an alcoholic or? Or would they at least be considered one, do you think, by today's standards? Uh, I'm not quite sure if he was an alcoholic, but but I suppose by today's standards, he, he would be, um, without doubt. Um, uh, he certainly did drink in later life. He had a drink problem. Um, you know, and I think the I think in, in one of his life stories that he did uh do later after he retired and he did one or two lovely life story features uh, he did say drink has been my downfall so um without doubt uh, it was a problem uh, he, he wasn't the first and he wasn't the last footballer who had drink problems so it wasn't unusual and in uh, in 1927 i read a story about him in in uh, in being banned for a couple of months of pushing a referee into a bath what um, yeah. What happened there? Well, he, uh, as I said before, he he often got into trouble with referees, mainly because he was always complaining at referees, whether it's uh, decisions for free kicks or penalties or the rough treatment he personally received from defenders. Um, but uh, one particular game, uh, the season after they won the championship in 27 27-28, they played Huddersfield Town. And Huddersfield Town were Newcastle's big rivals during the 20s. They had won the championship three times in a row before Newcastle had lifted the tro trophy. So uh, it was a crunch game against Huddersfield uh, at St James's Park. Uh, the referee was uh, a chap called Bert Fogg, uh, an appropriate name for Huey, because uh, he uh, he had a set two with Mr Fogg. Um, uh, for principally not not protecting him on the field uh, from uh, the rough treatment from defenders. And also uh, Huddersfield had taken the lead and Huey was uh, brought down, or Newcastle, one of the Newcastle players uh, was brought down uh, uh, late in the game and there was a penalty appeal and it was turned down. It was apparently a blatant penalty. Uh, and Huey had a right go at Bert Fogg on, at the end of the game. Uh, he was very, very angry uh, at the whole, uh, uh, at all the decisions that the referee made during that period. Now, Bert Fogg was a top referee, an international referee. He'd also ran into trouble with Gallagher before. Um, so there was a little bit of uh, history between the two of them. So by the time they reached the dressing room, Gallagher was still very, very angry um, and he 
uh, one of his friends was recorded saying that he followed Bert Fogg into the referee's room and as he was undressing and getting into the bath, he kicked out and uh, um, Bert Fogg, um, well, he was in, in effect pushed into the bath. Um, and of course, uh, the referee didn't like that at all. So he reported them to the Football Association and Gallagher was giving, given a very long sentence uh, or, or suspended suspension. Um, and he was out of football for um, two to three months. Uh, that was the longest ban he was received, but he was given various other bans as well. Uh, so he wasn't uh, a player who um, would would just allow things to to disappear. He always um, wanted to uh, react to decisions on the field. Following that incident, Huey was banned for three months before returning on the 31st of March 1928 for a match that would go down in Scottish football history. Well, that's the Wembley Wizards game. Um, and uh, I actually wrote a book all about the Wembley Wizards uh, as well. So um, it was, it's gone down in history as probably Scotland's greatest ever triumph. Uh, uh, in in the distant past now, of course, but uh, uh, and at that time the the only real international football that was played was the home international championships between England, Scotland, Wales, and uh, Ireland, um, and the big game, of course, was the old enemy clash clash uh, between England and Scotland, and at Wembley, uh, Scotland tore England apart in one five one. They had a legendary. Uh, forward line of small players like like um, Huey Gallagher and Alec James, uh, and they um, demolished Scotland, and it's gone down in history as the Wembley Wizards. And Gallagher didn't actually score in that game, but he apparently um, had a field day in terms of uh, um, making uh, goals for others. Dixie Dean was playing for England that day as well, wasn't he? I think he probably was, yes. Um, so, uh, you know, in, in Scotland especially, that, that game is just, uh, you know, legendary. Um, it's still talked about to this day. And no doubt when England plays Scotland um, in the coming international that may be played shortly, um, that, that game will get uh, dragged up yet again. Huey Gallagher spent five seasons at Newcastle United, scoring 143 League and Cup goals in 174 appearances. His strike rate of just over 82% is the most prolific in the club's history, and he was part of the side that won the club's last top division title in 1926-1927. So, why did he leave and move to Chelsea in 1930? Oh yes, yeah, well, first of all, he didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay at Newcastle. Uh, he was forced out of the club um, uh, because of two or three reasons. Um, Newcastle brought in uh, their first manager, um, a player manager to start off with, uh, a, a Scotland international teammate of Huey's, a chap called Andy Cunningham, the famous Rangers and Scotland player. Now, Andy Cunningham never saw eye to eye with Huey Gallagher at all. The two did not like each other. Um, and uh, so so Cunningham um, was one reason. Uh, the second reason was that um, because of all of the, the headlines 
um, or the detrimental headlines that, that Gallagher created on and off the field, uh, some of Newcastle's directors uh, wanted rid of him. Um, uh, so he was forced out. Uh, and at that time, it didn't matter what the footballer wanted. Um, if, if, if a club... Oh, that was the dog again. The joys of recording via Zoom. Now back to Paul. Uh, so one of the reasons was Andy Cunningham, uh, the new manager for Newcastle United. Um, he was actually a, a Scot- Scotland international teammate of Gallagher's, um, but the two of them never saw eye to eye um, and they didn't like each other at all. So that was one reason. Um, the second reason was that Newcastle's directors, uh, or at least some of them, uh, had enough of Gallagher's antics on and off the field. Uh, so they decided to cash in. And at that time, uh, it didn't matter what a footballer wanted. You know, Gallagher wanted to stay. He was quite happy on Tyneside. He had found a new love of his life, um, a, a local girl. Um, and um, he wanted to remain with Newcastle United. But um, an offer came in from Chelsea, uh, £10,000, which was nearly a new record fee again. And the club decided to accept and Gallagher was uh, sent to Chelsea. Uh, And as I say, he didn't have a say in it Um, at that time. uh, You had to move if if the club decided to get rid of you. So off to London he went. And that was a new chapter in the story of Huey Gallagher. So Huey leaves Newcastle and moves down to London. One of the biggest changes of his adult life. And despite a reticence to leave Newcastle United... And despite the upset and anger of the Newcastle supporters, Huey moves down to Chelsea and his goal scoring continues. Yes, um, uh, with Chelsea, Chelsea were in the top division like Newcastle, another good, very good side full of international players and several of his Scottish teammates were at Chelsea as well. So um, uh, he scored goals there, 81 for Chelsea. Um, not quite as good as his ratio at Newcastle um, and he never actually won anything uh, with Chelsea, um, but he was a, a star player um, at Stamford Bridge, and um, you know very much um, a, a top player in, in in at that level. Um, but you know he brought he brought with him the same problems, um, and it maybe was even uh, a bigger problem in London, in so much that it was a a much bigger place. There was lots of things to do. Lots of people uh, started to hang around Huey Gallagher and some of his teammates and lots of uh, undesirables got into the company of Huey Gallagher and that caused him problems. And he uh, at that time started to accumulate quite a lot of um, debt and, and, and ended up in in bankruptcy court as well and, and that was partly due to the a divorce from his the, the, the first marriage wasn't it? Well, yes, he was uh, desperate to marry the girl that he met in Tyneside um, and she went down to London uh, uh, with him. And uh, uh, But he had to go through a very difficult divorce with, um, with Annie from Bells Hill and that more or less left him bankrupt. Um, uh, uh, but he started afresh uh, um, and had a very happy marriage with... Um, his um, new new wife. He eventually married uh, Hannah, I think she was called, um, and 
you know, had the two or had three children, um, Huey Jr., Matty Gallagher and Tommy Gallagher. Um, so he settled in London um, and, you know, hit headlines all over the place again. Um, uh, but eventually decided uh, he needed to move out of the capital um, uh, and moved uh, a bit further north. Yeah, he, he moves. He moves into the Midlands, doesn't he? Plays for for Derby and for for Notts County. And again, his his goal scoring record still still pretty impressive there as well, isn't it? Well, yeah, Derby County were again like Chelsea, uh, uh, a top side, uh, and there were runners up with Gallagher um, in the side uh, uh, during uh, the two or three seasons he was at, with Derby. Uh, he scored 40 goals for, for Derby. Uh, again, though, not, not, not on the same level uh, as at Newcastle United. But um, throughout his career, he scored goals wherever he played. Um, and after Derby, it was a bit of a downward spiral. Um, played for Notts County in, uh, in lower levels and then Grimsby Town. And eventually moved back to Tyneside where he was uh, really uh, at home. Uh, he joined Gateshead just before the war. Yeah, and it was basically it was more or less the the second you know the start of the second world war that sort of you know put an end to his to his playing career. What did what was he doing during the war? As he would have been too old to have saved, I'd imagine. Yes, he was. He he uh, he worked. Uh, he, he settled in Gateshead, um, and um, the war did end his football career. Um, he worked in munition factories on Tyneside. He was part of the air raid precaution team, the ARP. He drove an ambulance uh, on Tyneside during the war. And he also played an exhibition football. And he, he played a lot of games in wartime um, to raise money for, for wartime uh, charities. And I believe as well, almost quite ironically, he, he refereed quite a lot of those matches as well. He did. He was a personality on Tyneside. He, he was selected as a referee um uh, various you know um ex football star all stars games uh, and it was always you know fans in newcastle uh, never forgot Huey gallagher and wherever he turned up there'd be a crowd so um they all he was a name that attracted the crowds um to exhibition games we talked a little bit, Paul, just before about his the the death that came from his his divorce, and and obviously with his lifestyle off the pitch, that that probably would have um wouldn't wouldn't have helped with that as well. I presume at that time there would have wouldn't have been any support for for anybody, let alone footballers who were in sort of financial difficulties. No, no, there wasn't. Um, uh, being Huey Gallagher, he, he, uh, I think from memory he um, managed to. Um, get more income uh, away from the football field because it was at a time where it was a maximum wage so you couldn't earn millions and millions from football so he wrote uh, he ghosted columns in various newspapers get extra income um, and he uh, eventually got back on his feet after his spell in London so you know he wasn't destitute or anything like that and after after World War Two, he became uh, a down uh, a working class factory worker. Um, but in addition to that, he was a regular uh, columnist for the Newcastle Evening Chronicle. So um, 
he was, uh, and he and he did write a lot of uh, life story type features in uh, local and national press. And then in 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 nineteen fifties, his his life is kind of he has another sort of blow to his to his life when when his wife Hannah. Uh, when she dies, and and apparently um, Huey took that particularly badly, um, which you I mean, which you obviously would with his his partner dying. What was, what was his his? I know you said you spoke to his sons. Did they have any recollection of that time? Well, yes. Um, when he lost his wife um, Hannah, uh, that really did. Um, affect Huey dramatically. Um, he's he, you know, Huey Junior told me that you know, he was never the same person again um, when Hannah uh, died. Um, he had to look after his three kids himself um, and he wasn't a rich man. Um, so uh, he had to uh, um, you know, scrape around to find enough money to, to make sure that Huey Jr., Tommy and Matty were brought up uh, to a reasonable standard. Um, and at the same time, um, he was the the drinking uh, became, I think, uh, worse and worse. At that point, he would go into uh, pubs on Tyneside, um, and being Huey Gallagher, he would always uh, be offered many drinks uh, on an evening, and he wouldn't have to pay for anything. And the more and more he went into pubs, the more and more he drank. So that didn't help um, his um, later life during the 50s. As you'll know, if you've listened to any of our episodes in the past, here at the Man Marking Podcast, we attempt to use football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. And sometimes that means talking about difficult subjects like addiction, depression, and often suicide. Now, as we've used these episodes in the past to talk about people like Dave Clements, Billy Callender, Alan Davis, Justin Fashionu, footballers who sadly took their own lives. And now we're entering the final chapter of our story, and sadly, the final chapter of Huey's life. Here's Paul. Yes, it was, it was a difficult time. Um, and, and the incident which really was the catalyst for it all was, was that... Um, they had a domestic argument. Young Matty, um, I think uh, Huey Jr. was telling me that, that young Matty was was a bit cheeky to his father one night. Um, and Huey um, always had a short temper uh, and he lost the plot, um, threw an ashtray towards Matty and sort of skimmed him on the shoulder side of the head. Um, now that blew out of all proportion um, in so much that the local authority got involved uh, and uh, young Matty was removed from his care uh, after that incident. Um, and certainly from Huey Jr.'s point of view, um, it was an exaggerated incident. You know, that losing his temper could have happened in any home at any time and it could happen today. It, uh, and it wouldn't uh, uh, develop into the incident uh, and um, follow-up that happened back in 1957. It was because it was Huey Gallagher, um, the local authority got involved, the papers got involved, um, and it just 
blew out of all proportion. Um, he was told to appear in Gateshead Magistrates Court um, during June 1957 uh, to answer charges uh, uh, against him for that incident. Uh, and that really hit Huey uh, dramatically bad in so much that he couldn't um, uh, face the court at all uh, because he adored his three children and he would never uh, um, hurt uh, young Matty at all uh, on purpose. And, and losing, his, uh, losing Matty from his home life uh, certainly uh, uh, hit home hard. Um, so, unfortunately, um, he decided to commit suicide uh, the day before the trial, uh, or day before the, not, not the trial, uh, the appearance uh, in Gateshead Magistrate Court. Uh, the day before, um, he walked down from his home in Gateshead uh, and the main railway line, Edinburgh to London railway line, run, ran not so far away. Um, uh, in Gateshead, so he walked down to um, the railway line and jumped in front of an express train uh, a pro on a, uh, at a point where it's it's it was already called uh, you know, Dead Man's Crossing, and unfortunately, um, Huey Gallagher ended his life there on the twelfth of June, nineteen fifty-seven. He was fifty-four years old. Not a not an, an old age at all, and he, he should have had many many more years uh, living on Townside. What yeah. were his 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 two sons' recollection of of that? You know, they were def devastated to be you know, frank as 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 they would be, um, and uh, Huey Junior especially. Um, it, it's a difficult subject for him and. Uh, he maintains the whole incident, as I said, was totally exaggerated. You know, it was a little um, domestic uh, family dispute um, that, that was blown out of all proportion. And uh, in, in it, in it happened only because the man was Huey Gallagher. It wouldn't have happened if it was Joe Bloggs or Fred Smith. Uh, but because it was Huey Gallagher, um, everything just blew out of all proportion. Well, I presume it was it was quite a shock to to everybody involved, both to his family and also to to people who knew him as as the footballer. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there was huge headlines, especially uh, on Tyneside. Um, I think the, the I always remember the I think it was the Chronicle of the Journals um, headline was Huey of the Magic Feet is dead. You know, on the front page, uh, the banner headline, um, and uh, you know. But he was, he, he, he'd, he'd uh, taken the ultimate step, but his life and his footballing ability live on and he's, uh, he's still remembered and revered um, how many years later, um, uh, 40, 50 years later. Uh, um, and, and to be honest, um, he'll be remembered um, as long as football is, is uh, talked about. It's very telling, isn't it, that he's still still held in such high regard, even even though he died so long ago, and and he played even longer before that. Yeah, there's 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 a handful of footballers who um, have have endured 
right through football's history of 100 and whatever it is, 50 years. Um, Huey Gallagher is one of them. Dixie Dean's another. Um, uh, Steve Bloomer. Um, people like that, names like that, they will live on and on and on. Um, and that's testament to their ability as a footballer. According to the Samaritans, in 2019, the last year for available statistics, there were 5,691 suicides in England and Wales. That equates to just shy of 16 people a day. Now, as we well know, three quarters of all suicides are men, and the biggest killer of men under the age of 45 remains suicide. Huey's story may have ended over 60 years ago, but the lessons that we can learn about him and his tragic ending are still relevant today in 2021, perhaps even more so with the current circumstances surrounding the pandemic. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in today's episode, then check out the bio. We've got some links to the places like Samaritans, like Mind, like Papyrus, that can help you out and lend you an ear if you need to talk. If you want to check out any of our other work, you can find the rest of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or Acast, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Our last episode was an interview with Doncaster legend James Coppinger, and we'll be back on Monday with another interview with former crisis negotiator Lance Burdett. And on the Friday, a week today, we'll be speaking to Scottish referee Ali Buchanan. I just want to thank you for listening today. And if you want to get in touch with any of us here at Man Marking, you can find us on Twitter at Marking underscore Man. And don't forget to use the hashtag, Where's the Talking Lads? Now, finally... Finally, I just want to say a huge thanks to Newcastle United historian Paul Jonew for giving up his time to come on this episode and talk about a true Newcastle United legend in Huey Gallagher. These episodes couldn't be put together without people like Paul generously giving up their time for us, so we do greatly appreciate it. You've been listening to Man Marking. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. (laughs) 